Good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. And a special welcome if you're visiting us today or here for the first time. We hope you will feel welcome, um, not be too freaked by any strange things we might do. Um, But you'll all stay and enjoy a cup of tea or coffee with us after the service. The service includes communion, and all are welcome to participate as fully as you wish. Our call to worship is Psalm 15. Who can live in your tent, Lord? Who can dwell on your holy mountain? The person who lives free of blame, who does what is right and speaks the truth sincerely, who does no damage with their talk, does no harm to a friend, doesn't insult a neighbour, someone who doesn't lend money with interest, who won't accept a bribe against any innocent person, someone who keeps their promise even when it hurts. Whoever does these things will never, ever stumble. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Loving God, as we come to you now in prayer, we begin in gratitude. Gratitude for the privilege of living in a nation with stable government and an excellent infrastructure. Gratitude for access to high-quality education and unrivaled health care. Gratitude for the abundance of food from which to select our meals. Gratitude for the unseen service industries, public and private, that facilitate our enjoyment of life. And yet, Lord, we grumble that those in power don't do what we want them to do, that postcode lotteries affect access to limited resources, that they, whoever they are, don't do enough about the issues that concern us. We become ungrateful, asserting our rights to what it is we desire, rather than delighting in what is actually amazingly good. So, we are sorry. But even so, Lord, all is not well. There are injustices that need to be addressed. There are questions that need to be asked. There are wrongs that need to be righted. Help us, as recipients of your outrageous generosity, as beneficiaries of your big-hearted love, so to grow in wisdom and grace that we might combine sincere gratitude with wise evaluation and better serve your kingdom of shalom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe 
the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written. The people honours... This people honours me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. The next reading is from the letter of James. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfilment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, They are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. One of the challenges we have with our new service pattern is that we agreed the children would normally not be with us when we are sharing communion, um, but the children would return to share with us from about quarter to twelve That means once a month you get a nice short sermon rather than me waffling for 20 minutes. So there is a blessing after all. I'm supposed to keep to 10 minutes today. I'll try. Today we are beginning a short series looking at aspects of the letter of James, which is generally accepted as one of the oldest New Testament writings and almost universally accepted as being authored by one of Jesus' younger brothers. It is also one of the most controversial and contentious books in the Bible, and as it happens, one of my favourites. Let's just briefly remind ourselves about James, who we've already met during our exploration of discipleship in Mark's Gospel over the summer months. If you remember, he was there right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When the family thought that Jesus had gone mad and came to take him back home. James is also there and mentioned by name when Jesus eventually does go back to Nazareth, 
the place where nobody understands him and he is disempowered. So he goes off to preach elsewhere. So the James we have met doesn't really get Jesus. But clearly as time goes on, he did come to understand what his older brother was on about, who he was. And actually James played a significant role in the early Jesus movement, writing this important, powerful and challenging letter. I wonder if actually James is there in the background of all the gospel stories. If he is watching what's going on, discovering who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think it is possible. In fact, I think it's quite likely. And if so, he will have seen for himself how Jesus found himself increasingly in conflict with the religious authorities of his day, as in fact happened in the passage we just heard read, where there is a complex and actually, if you look at it, potentially quite contradictory exchange about aspects of divine law. Jesus tells the Pharisees off for their traditions, but he also says that the food laws don't matter anymore. But he also says that the law doesn't change. So it's a complicated passage. And James will have seen that kind of thing going on and thought about it and wondered just what it meant to be a follower of his brother. As we consider what James has to say, we bear in mind that encounter in Mark 7 and need to ask ourselves honestly where we stand as we do so. Do we stand with the Pharisees upholding a long tradition of unquestioned interpretation of the law? Or do we stand with the disciples who are tantalised by this Jesus who runs rings round the Pharisees with a sophisticated radical approach? Do we think, as did the Pharisees, that we have got the final answer? Or are we open to the new insights that God may have to show to any or all of us? And if we find something new, do we think that's the final answer? Or are we still recognising the provisionality and partiality of that? So let's have a look at what James has to say about our mindset, our attitude, the way we as followers of Jesus approach the challenges and complexities of daily life. The key lies right at the start of the passage we've just heard, with a reminder of the outrageous generosity of our big-hearted God, those two Baptist phrases of the year. God is the source of all that is good and perfect. God's nature is eternally unchanging, attributes which cannot fail to prompt gratitude in the heart of the believer. There is no shadow of turning, it says. That's where the the line comes from in the hymn. God doesn't change. God is generous. God is the source of all good things. And so we should be grateful. The trouble is, in our complex scientific Western world, we have everything we need and more on demand. And so we very readily lose sight of our reliance on the God who is dependable, the God who provides And so we can't experience, never mind, express the kind of gratitude that is assumed in this passage. Even so, 
an attitude of gratitude, a mindset shaped by faith in the God who in Christ Jesus dwelled among us, is something to which we can and should aspire. If we believe in God's outrageous generosity to us, if we believe in God's love, mercy and grace, then that has to affect the way we live day by day. Before we look necessarily briefly at how such an attitude is lived out, I want to make very clear what an attitude of gratitude is not. It is not some kind of Pollyanna outlook that claims to be glad when something bad happens, as if inevitably good will come out of it. Because actually, that would be a blend of fatalism and denial with a smiling face. An attitude of gratitude can recognise and name that which is bad or wrong and yet refuse to be overwhelmed by negativity. Instead, deliberately choosing to seek, with God's help, a positive way forward. The truth is everybody experiences some degree of disappointment, of suffering, of loss, of injustice. But what makes a difference is how we respond to that. The Pollyanna response isn't healthy. It denies the reality. But there are other equally unhealthy responses, such as bitterness, grudge-bearing, whinging, and what the minister who preceded me at my old church used to call POM disease. Poor old me. Gratitude eschews all of these, or at least tries to, and says, okay, yep, all is not well, but there is still good to celebrate, and there must be a better way of going forwards. I think what James is saying, essentially, is that as we become more aware of God's generosity, provision, sustaining, and love, we cannot fail to be grateful. And such gratitude should inspire us to show the same characteristics in the world. If God has been so gracious to us, we should be so gracious to others. So, very briefly, a few of the things that we pick up from this first chapter. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Remember that old adage that we have two ears and one mouth to be used in those proportions. The Pharisees who Jesus encountered were very self-righteous and criticised Jesus' followers for an observed transgression of religious practice roughly on a par with sitting in somebody else's seat in church, I guess. It's so easy to point the finger at other people. So easy to think that we are right and everybody else is wrong. Because actually, if we're honest, the vast majority of us are sure that we are right and we want people to know that. We like to tell it how we think it is. But James says... The person whose life is shaped by gratitude becomes a good listener. 
willing to hear what other people have to say, rather than spouting forth their own opinions or judgments. Next, the law of God is about liberation, about freedom, not about control. Spend time studying it properly. Don't pick and choose verses to clobber other people with. And don't just accept without question what the Pharisees of your own day tell you. That's kind of what James is saying here. Don't be a hypocrite with clean hands and a filthy heart, reveling in pointing out the failings of others. But actually, see yourself reflected in the mirror of God's truth and let that transform your attitude and your lifestyle. The person who is driven by gratitude becomes more and more aware of God's mercy and grace in their own life. And inevitably, that flows out in the way they relate to other people. And then there's an almost throwaway line at the end of the chapter. Caring for widows and orphans and avoiding the corruption of the world. Oh, I've heard an awful lot of sermons about avoiding the corruption of the world. Preachers with a legalistic stress on what those evils of the world might be that would corrupt the believer. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't go to the cinema, you shouldn't dance, you shouldn't have fun, because it might corrupt you. I just want to suggest there's another way of reading it, which is not judgmental and not legalistic. Supposing the corruption of the world is what leads to the awful plight of the widows and orphans and their equivalents in our own day. Suppose that the corruption is consumerism, perhaps, or even pious legalism. I'm right, you're wrong, it's all about me and my my salvation and the world can go to hell in a handcart. Supposing that's the kind of corruption, a bad attitude to other people, that leads us to neglect those who are vulnerable and powerless in our society. I'd like to suggest that an attitude of gratitude recognises how richly blessed we are. Everybody here has their basic needs met. Everybody here has their human rights enshrined in law. Everybody here has the freedom to express their faith and their opinions. If we are truly grateful for that, then we should offer that same generosity to other people. Attitude is fundamental to how lives are lived. The letter of James sees gratitude as vital to authentic Christian faith. Life isn't always easy. We can't cure all the world's woes just by having a positive outlook. But we do have a choice in how we live, how we handle what comes our way. So is gratitude to God one of the prime motivators in our lives? And now let us bring our prayers for ourselves and for others.
We come with grateful hearts for all the many gifts we have received at your hand, for health and strength, for food and shelter, for meaningful work, and for the love of family and friends. We have thanks that we live in a country with stable government and that we can enjoy the many advantages of civil society. Lord, give us for, forgive us for our selfishness in that we fail to recognize the many blessings we have received and teach us to show our gratitude in our willingness to share our wealth, our possessions, our energy and ability in the service of others. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. In this past week, when the Paralympic Games have taken place in London, we have been made more aware of the talents, the perseverance and the commitment of those who cope with disability and yet triumphed in such an exceptional way. May the legacy of these games be a continuing awareness on the part of the wider society and a determination to recognise as equals all those who are limited by any form of physical or mental disease or illness and a commitment to promote their interests in our society. Lord, we also recognise that many of us have had life-enhancing opportunities in employment and service, and we pray for many young people today who find little chance of finding a job or founding a family. Lord, may they be kept from despair, and may we encourage them in whatever way we can. At this, the beginning of the church's new season of work, we pray for students coming to the city that they may be welcomed by all of us. For the activities at Hillhead, particularly the various Monday evening groups, the Sunday school, and all the attempts at opening doors. For those who lead our church, especially our minister and the managers, that their work may be blessed. And finally, we pray today that all those who have faithfully served you may not weary in well-doing, but rather realise with gratitude the many blessings we have received at your hand and pledge ourselves again to the work and the witness of your church. For we ask all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we leave this place, may God bless us and all people with grateful hearts, delighting in that which is good, opposing that which is evil, and growing in grace now and always. Mm -hmm.